Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Michal Nevs, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. In this episode titled The Challenges of Systemizing Event Planning, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jennifer Brisman, the founder and CEO at VOW. Our conversation revolves around making technology work for event management. We talk about things like the amazing benefits and drawbacks of working in event planning. We talk about defining where tech can help in event planning and in supporting the event experience. We talk about why event professionals make the best event tech CEOs. We talk about the change in user expectations and how this impacts mobile event app adoption. And we talk about why ultimately staffing remains the event industry's biggest challenge. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. I am Miguel Nefsch, Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings, and on this episode I am joined by Jennifer Brisman, the founder and CEO of VOW. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's, it's uh, we, we haven't connected for a little while. I think your world has been changing very, very rapidly, but I'd love to get our listeners to just understand who you are, you know, and, and I'd love you to start sort of your first connection with the event industry or sort of business events in general, and and then take us through to Vow and, and what you're doing today. I would love it. Um, so in college, I was pre-med, <laughs> but I actually ran an organization that did a lot of events that helped orientate students to the pre-medical journey. So we had panel sessions, we had gatherings, we scrubbed in for surgeries, and there needed to be someone who coordinated all these things. And that was me. Um, That led to us doing fundraisers to raise money for the group. So I was actually doing fundraisers at George Washington University while I was pre-med. And I approached a local real headline event pro when I was doing uh, a charity event um, for students teaching aids to students. And I said, I need help. And you're a famous event planner. Um, can you help me? And she you know, sat down with me. We talked about things for hours. She was at the time championing some stuff in the international sports space. Uh, she had just launched the Greater Washington Exploratory Committee for the 2012 Olympic Games. Um, and some other great um, activations. And she offered me a job. And I went to work for her straight out of college. And I got to work on the Princess Diana dress tour. And I got to work on the Viennese Opera Ball and some super exciting um, events for, I think, also the Principality of Monaco. And that was my first uh, foyer into events. And I loved it. And it was a natural fit. 
Um, and from there, I went to work for two major, major production companies um, where we got to produce headline entertainment, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, the Doobie Brothers, and some other cool stuff. And ultimately, I think I had a really hard time with authority <laughs> working for other people and answering to them. I couldn't quite figure it out. I felt like, you know, like we all do when you start your own company, you think you're the hardest working person in the world and no one works as hard as you do. And you think you're the smartest and no one has as good ideas as you do. And that's really the entrepreneurial bug, right? When you have a passion and a drive and a seed to really do things differently or better than other people. So I really looked hard at the landscape and a corporate client came to me and said, you know, you did such a great job at X when you were working for them. I actually have to plan like a huge, huge wedding for my daughter. Can you help? And I was like, okay, great. Let's, you know, let's do it. Um, and weddings became socials and socials became corporate. Um, and I loved the autonomy of really being the quarterback and running the ball with all these amazing trades. What I struggled with is how to scale my operation. What I struggled with is if I can do 10 events a year, how do I do 50? And you know what is that relationship in terms of the staff or the staffing that I would need to achieve that? And I sort of very quickly realized that there was no amount of staff that was going to let me do that. This really needed to be solved by technology. But it was 2003. And in 2003, there really wasn't a lot of event tech. There were marketplaces. There were rudimentary marketplaces. And so I looked to eBay and I looked to first dibs that was just starting then. Um, and I looked to everything that Intuit was doing. I was obsessed with Intuit and QuickBooks. And so I, I really just couldn't figure out how to do it. So I hired an IT person. I took the first 20000 I made and I started to build something. And it was built on um, Microsoft uh, Visual Basic and C++. And I had no idea what I was doing. Very quickly realized that it not only wasn't the right time or timing, but that I was too inexperienced. And that if I wanted to do this, I would need to bring on, at the time they were called IT people and programmers, someone who would really had experience in the space. So I just chose to hone my craft. Um, and, and I, what it, were you, what in particular were you building? I'm just curious yes, what were you trying to build? Yeah, so I think it would have been, you know, really a marketplace where you would have had vendors and venues. What I couldn't figure out how to do is how to make them communicate and transact. Remember in 2003, 2004, very few people were on email. There was no Slack. There was no Teams. Um, there was no Mattermost or WhatsApp or Rocket Chat. Like there were no communications platform to centralize communications, which was something I was absolutely nutty about. And so I did what I could in Google Docs. But yes, it would have been a marketplace, a two-sided marketplace. I, I couldn't figure out how to make the, the dots connect. Um, and to be honest, a lot of people weren't even on the internet at that point. Um, I remember purchasing something on eBay. I couldn't transact. It was a it was a Prada bowling bag. And I had to walk to Sutton Place with cash in hand to go buy it from that person. So I could look at products that I wanted on eBay. But I, at the time, I, and I don't remember why I couldn't transact, the first item that I bought on first dibs, I was able to find the item. I couldn't transact. And I wouldn't be able to transact internationally for years. So it was way too early. But I did become obsessed with systems. 
with systematizing things, with systematizing with whatever tools I could find, how I worked with my partners, both the venue and vendor partners, so that I could spend more time servicing my clients. That's all I cared about. How do I do what I have to do with my venue partners and vendors and keep it really clean and tight to use their time well, but optimize for time with clients? It's really, really next to impossible. Um, So in about 2018, I started to dabble in the startup Sorry, what happened in between, right? So you, you had this tech events. thing. I did 600 events. Um, you continued so doing events. You kind of, the, the, the technology out. side went a bit Cor- dormant. Correct. You kind of tried to figure it out. Through my, you know, through my, um, my company, myself, transacted about 60, 70 million of business for clients, um, really built up my reputation, really tried to hone the guest experience. Like the guest experience was my thing. It was my thing early on from a communication standpoint. I really tried to deeply understand like where were the connection points between everybody in the ecosystem, no matter what vertical you were in. So the ecosystem split into two verticals. We've got public events, we've got private events, private events. You have multiple uh, verticals, but you always have really a primary stakeholder. Right on the public side, if you're a ticket holder, you're a stakeholder, totally different. So I really focused on within the private events, understanding the uh, places where we all intersected, where we all did our job exactly the same way, where it didn't matter what vertical we were in or what type of industry. And that's still a focus of mine today. And then I also tried to understand on the event goer side, you know, what what blew people's minds? You know, what made them want to go to events? What made them excited to be at an event? What were like the pain points that a guest dealt with? What were the pain points that a pro dealt with? And to some degree, they're still the same today as they were when I started my company in, in 2000. Um, so that's pretty remarkable. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that was the journey in between. Okay. Well, let's talk about Vow now and, and yeah. how that came about. And was this a direct result of the technology kind of in you know focus that you had before? Hundred percent, hundred percent. So the first thing I thought I was going to do is systematize how everybody worked in the socials and wedding space, and it was a big enough space. And I figured out the exact pain points and how I could synthesize and systematize them again. And I went out for a pitch night. I came up with a deck very early on in the journey, went out for uh, a pitch night at Startup Boost, um, came in second. It was so excited. And I was like, I'm going to build a billion dollar company tomorrow. Let's go. (laughs) And I didn't know anything about the event ecosystem, uh, about the startup ecosystem, nothing. And I really had to learn from scratch. Um, And I hustled. I went at that point in time, you know, events in the startup ecosystem were plentiful. Um, So I would go to about three a week, to get my sea legs, to learn the vernacular, to understood what this would mean to meet people, to meet people on the product side, the engineering side, which was like, you know, a complete, you know, um, I was mystified by it. I had no understanding of what it was. And then also just on like the investor side. So I would go to all these events, I would meet people, I would ask them for their time, I would take tons of meetings, I would put this deck in front of anybody that would listen, I would get tons and tons of feedback. Um, And then finally, I hired someone to help me build what would have been the first iteration of the product. And 
we were kind of looking for financing around it. And a couple of other products at the market came in in time. And I was like, this is not going to work. This is not big enough. This is not going to make a big enough change in the industry. It's not going to make um, huge improvements for the next 10 years. And the central axis of it was a real-time communications hub for events where you could communicate as business teams and event teams. And we built it. And we built it and we were like a minute into the market. And um, Leia was at that point, as I mentioned, uh, she was an advisor, an equity advisor, and has since come on the team full time. Um, but it really addressed pain for everybody in the space, clients, vendors, venues, and organizers. Those are the four main buckets. And it just, what we were doing wasn't big enough. What I wanted to do was so, so out of scope for where I was, but we did it. The pandemic hit and we had to pivot. And the truth was, we really weren't sure what to do at all um, whatsoever. And so I really looked at what was going on amidst the pandemic. I spoke to everyone, probably 1,000, 2,000 people, people I'd worked with for 20 years. And I heard that a major company was building a product with a concert and promotion company that was going to help COVID screen people to go to events. And I was like, holy crap, we need something like that. And I called around and I kept saying to people who has this product, who has this product, no one could figure it out. So we went and built it. Um, And it was a real leap of faith. We built it on paper first. We built a prototype. And I went out and customized that prototype for everybody I knew, like for a thousand people, whether it was the Mandarin Oriental or a headline producer or a tent company, we customized the prototype for everybody because event people, we like to see our name in lights and we like to be put in the moment and understand the workflow. And from that experience, I learned two things. I was going to be a tech CEO. And anyone else in the industry could be 100% event professionals are the best product people because we paint a picture of flows in our brain. And then we are responsible for making it happen. There's, There's no like, hey, guys, we didn't make it work the first time. This is Broadway. We'll make it work in a week. You have one chance and you have one chance only. And that's it. So I, I learned that like, People were finishing my sentences. I designed a product, but they knew the story. They knew the beginning, they knew the middle, they knew the end. And they were like, build that. And so everybody kept saying, build that. And when I showed it to people outside the ecosystem, they told us we were crazy. (laughs) I was like, oh, fuck. Excuse my language. (laughs) So so everybody I showed to it outside the ecosystem, then everybody I showed it to inside this ecosystem was like, build. But there was no events. It was November, 2020. It was January, 2021, February, 2021. There was really only a little bit internationally. And we called the product Vow Digital Health. And we would go on to, through this product, um, we would grow to handle and protect and COVID screen thousands of events for thousands of event organizers Um, We would grow to about 120,000 account holders and we would service everybody from, you know, Uber to high profile clients who we have NDAs with. And people were able to get back to gathering. 
Um, and what we realized through this journey was that, you know, people will do anything to gather for all reasons in all seasons. They will, they will gather no matter the stakes, because that's what makes the world go round. Those, you know, life's greatest moments, the handshake to the deal, that dollar that you have to earn to raise the capital to go solve cancer, the money that you need to make children safe, you know, people were going to gather no matter what. And we really had everyone's backs and we really championed trust and traction um, and we soared. And we are, as we did that, we learned what everyone else's pain was, right? So we're all coming out of the pandemic. We're all gathering at scale and there's so much new pain. And so that's where we are today. Vow today will continue as needed to, of course, COVID screen as organizers need. But our primary focus will be my 20-year focus, which has always been the guest experience. We are going to champion the guest experience, and we are going to save organizers time, money, and stress in helping them delight guests and champion that experience in a way that only high-touch technology can. And that's what VOW is doing and will be doing moving forward. And we had been doing it, even amidst COVID. So um, we are automating and streamlining arrival, check-in, tables, seating, and beyond all in real time with 24-7 concierge support for events. So events are these amazing organizations, right? We put them up. We need them to do really, really specific things and hit, hit really, really clear KPIs really, really quick. We can't do it over. And then we tear them down. And then we have to build it back either quarterly or the next year or in some type of cadence. And every year the stakes are higher. And every year the return on investment has to be greater. And those KPIs can't drop. And again, why do we spend time and money in doing this if we're a client? Because few things have greater value than the human experience, than IRL events, right? Which are always going to soar. We took a hit, but we're always going to soar. And so VOW is really leaning into that. We are leaning into helping organizers scale themselves. On the, on the organizer side, whether it's in-house or out-of-house organizers, we are helping them scale themselves and their teams internally. So for organizers, VAL will be multiplayer and it'll be the first multiplayer event technology. And that will be really, really exciting for us. So if you are planning an event for a thousand people and you have 30, 40 sponsor tables, everybody's working in VOW in real time. People aren't shuttling around administrative logins. They're not shuttling around Google Docs or Airtable. They're really in schematics and they're working all in real time in the right way with the right notifications and alerts. Um, so we're super excited and we are just a few weeks from putting it in the market uh, in terms of our native mobile apps um, on iOS and Google Play. And, um, you know, that's... That's sort of where we are. Sounds today. like a, an exciting journey. 
Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So I remember when we last spoke, still kind of more in the in the pandemic, and uh, Vow Health was was kind of the main focus. I remember that you had a number of challenges that weren't necessarily about your product, right? It was about you know how vaccination cards are made and the challenges of getting those kind of uh, checked. And it would be great for you to just give us an overview of that, but also. What I wanted to ask was, what did you learn from that, or, or what did you, what were you able to apply from that to to what the product is like today, or to the development of the the kind of future versions of the product? Yeah, absolutely. So, amidst the pandemic, what Vow Digital Health did was take something that, while an organizer could do they'd be doing it for the first time, COVID screening and tracking and clearing. And it let us do it for them at scale. So obviously that was the first thing is they really learned very quickly how fun scale is. The set and, and every organizer, right? Like, because a lot of times, depending on who you are, you may not be touching a tech stack, right? There's a very small part of the market of event organizers and professionals who day-to-day are touching a tech stack for their clients, right? They have certain tools that they use for their workday. There's not a lot touching tech for their clients, right? Registration, sure. Ticketing, sure. But this was totally different. So I think it got people excited that they could see things scale and and make it happen really quickly. Um, As far as on the vaccination and vaccination record side, what we really learned was, wow, we are living in a world where we need to champion data privacy and security and trust. And the trust that people put in our team was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And um, for as long as I live, it'll be something that I remember and that I really, really protect both in the product, in the process of how we work, and in the people that we hire. Trust is everything. And so data and privacy and security was one thing I learned that was important to everybody everywhere. And in in a world where I think we just day-to-day took it for granted a little bit more before. Um, On the vaccination record side, again, it's same thing. You know, people didn't want to share more health credentials than they wanted to share. One of the ways that we were disruptive around that specific question, we didn't keep people's health credentials. We purged them. This was like a really big disruption to people. Everyone would come at us, big, 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 big names and say, you know, hey, we don't want you to keep our health credentials. And we would say, great, we're not doing it. But if you had a fully completed vaccine on VOW in the next event you went to, they required a fully completed vaccine, no problem, your status is there. So we treated it as a badge without keeping someone's precious health credential. Um, So that, you know, very specific. And then everything else we learned was about the pain of really economics. People could no longer get the staffing at the price that they wanted. And everybody's jobs were costing more and people wanted to spend less. 
So we had to touch the top line, the bottom line, and everything in between. And when you reduce the amount of staff and you reduce the costs and overhead, you really help organizers out. So if they can do, instead of doing 10 events a year, they can do 14 a year because of your technology. That's really material and substantive. And then as we grow our feature set, they'll be able to scale more parts of themselves that are not specific, again, to a vertical. So what we really learned was like, wow, coming out of this, uh, staffing is a huge pain and it's a little bit insurmountable and the costs are killing everybody. So that was probably the most powerful non-COVID thing we learned. COVID thing-wise, certainly data privacy, security, and trust. Fascinating. Um, and then you you mentioned something quite interesting about the tech stack and how uh, planners are not in the day-to-day -day tech stack. Is that something that you think is going to change because planners and event professionals have been much more involved with tech through the pandemic than they would have been before? I think it's two things. I think amidst the pandemic and since everybody has become more demanding of digital products. I think they've also become more open to using digital products. Certain people who used to go to the bank before, they're now scanning in checks. You know, certain people who said, look, no way am I getting on a chat platform or Slack. They're getting on. Um, and I think that event pros are more interested in tooling with their own technology, whether it's trying out different reg or um, RSVP or guest management systems, whether it's trying out different event marketing platforms. I think they're more interested. And I think these platforms have made themselves a little bit more intuitive. Um, where I think it gets confusing to pros is if you have to use more than one of them. That's where the wheels fall off the wagon. Everybody's fine <laughs> if they just have to use one piece of technology for their event, right? And that's also it's something I think Julius uh, posted about the other day. It's also where a lot of event technology pigeonholes itself in trying to be all in one. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. And and so tell me about the, the, the VOW approach because... It does feel like it does some of what some of the apps that do everything or some of the technology that tried to do everything, but you've, have you consciously made choices to only do a few things very yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, We have nothing to do with event planning or management in the traditional sense of the world. So let's look at the continuum of what happens through an event, right? You have an inquiry or a lead, mm -hmm. then you got a sale. You've got contracting and planning, and you got production. That's it, right? Doesn't matter what the event is. Someone comes in, they sell, they contract, they plan, they produce. That's the whole journey. So most of the event technology in the market or technology touching events falls into two categories. Either it's marketing oriented. Those are some of the biggest ones like Eventbrite, or it's planning. We're really not touching planning. We're really focused on streamlining and automating guest management, starting with arrival, check-in, and beyond. We're, we're really not going to be an all-in-one tool for events. I believe that is why one, investors have a hangover <laughs> about the event ecosystem because no one's fulfilled that prophecy and they're not going to. Because where technology soars on the planning side 
is when it is specific for the type of vertical it's in, right? If you're registering for event, you need really event registration. If you're RSVPing, you really kind of start with that. If you are a fundraiser or a gala, you need the ability to transact and take in donations and manage your donors. There's just too many verticals to be an all-in-one. What I look at is the connective tissue, the dots that are specific to pain that has nothing to do with the vertical that an event or an event organizer is touching. And I think that's where people fail. So no, we are not trying to do everything because I also know as a tech founder, we will fail <laughs> and we will fail miserably. Um, so, so we're really late stage event management and going into the guest experience. And that's what we're staying laser focused on. And that's what we will continue to be laser focused on learning ahead. But listen, we believe in letting the market pull product out of us. So as we do that, we are excited to understand what the new pain points are. And if we have to build or pivot further, we will. Um, but that really is what the market has told us we need. And so we're really camping out there and, and really excited to, and our customers are excited for us to, to be there with them. And are there a specific type of events that, that are better suited? I mean, you talked about kind of covering a lot of different areas. You know, I'm thinking particularly pre-pandemic, we had a lot of the event apps that then pivoted to, to, you know, to virtual events, but they were offering a whole range of things, right? They went from the, the kind of trade show app that would have the, the show floor map, the matchmaking, a lot of the features that, you know, you may have in, in Vow or not. Um, but how are you kind of differentiating yourselves from, from those kind of solutions? Is it, is it specific to specific type of events or are you kind of saying, Hey, we're going to do any event, but we're going to touch on, on this particular area. Correct. Any event, but we're going to touch on lead stage on site event management. Um, what, you know, you're talking about with the other type of events is, you know, just different softwares. I mean, virtual was, was really never a space that I was passionate about. And I remember the moment where I went to my first and key advisor, Andy Bromberg, who's the CEO of Echo and the CEO, past CEO of CoinList. Um, and I said to him, it was like October 2020. And I said to him, I just don't feel passionate about virtual, not this virtual, not in this way. And he said, then follow your conviction, follow your passion. It won't lead you wrong. Um, but what happened with all those products is anytime they saw a gap, they tried to fill it, right? Like that's what you do. You see a gap. If you have an engineering team and the tech and the bandwidth and the economics and the time, you go fill it. I, I don't know that the market penetration, I don't know that the market has responded to that, but that is what these companies have done and understandably so, right? You have to flywheel your customers, from one feature to the next, to the next and upsell. And then they all went into competition with each other and with each other and reduced fees or not. There was, as Leia often says, no loyalty in the space, none. So we start from a place of loyalty. We are for pros, by pros. We are focused on this specific segment. We're gonna champion this specific segment. And I genuinely don't know that I see a day where we are going to go to um, you know, event management or event planning. We're not going to be a CRM. We're not going to be a two-sided marketplace. Those are the areas we're not interested in in playing in. But you're not doing things like 
convention floor maps and things like that, features like that is not is not really part of the plan. No, and I think that the people who do those do those really, really well. Um, and there's a couple of them in the space and they're only so hard that you can scale, right? So there's the sort of like the flat 1D, 2D, and then you're talking about sort of the 3D movements. Um, I think a lot of the new plumbing that's going to come down the pike um, as we see, you know, Web3 and other things unfold could change the landscape a lot. I don't know that to be true. I'm not an expert in it. But I think a lot of those technologies are old, a little bit heavier, a little bit clunkier. Um, and then on the CRM and other side, a lot of them are legacy tech. Um, and so I think it'll be hard for them to pivot as as is. They might have to sort of do some rebuilds. And are you planning to then... You know, or, or is this part of the product already allow connection to HubSpots and things like that so that the data is is then connected? Yeah, I, yeah, we can. I, you know, I've always, I think there's, depending on where someone's list is, that will come into Vow. So any place a list resides, that will come into Vow because we'll govern the guest experience, we'll champion it. Um, and that will be easy enough for them to ping our API and get what they and get what they need. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. I think integrations so, integrations are a little bit different. I think with mainstream, event technology is not great with integrations on the whole. There are some that have gotten much better. Um, mm-hmm. But we look forward to to that journey. Um, you know, it just takes a while to get there. We're still kind of young. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, there's like session listings and all sorts of things that I think... You, you know, you need to collect the data from different places to really make that work. If, if you're, you know, if you're working on those yep. kind of events, one of the pain points that I've always felt with event apps um, is getting people to use them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, and I think we may be in a slightly different situation with COVID safety and those kind of things. But is that a big part of your consideration to kind of get you know that ultimate hundred percent adoption of the app? So I don't think you'll ever get 100% adoption of people don't downloading it on their phone. So we'll always have it exist as native and as also as, as web optimized. They'll always exist in tandem. Obviously, they'll be more feature rich on the native side. Um, but in terms of your question, which is we expect or anticipate initially about 65% adoption and we will grow. That's why the customer support matters. So we can do customer support like nobody else because our 24-hour customer support team knows events. And so we believe that people will want access to our customer support as a service so that they will come in uh, early on. They will download on the phone. I think, you know, listen, when you go to the airport, you might not check in online for Delta till you're in the Uber, but you're going to do it in advance. You're not going to go to the check-in desk unless you have an issue and you're not going to stand there and wait online. You're going to automate as much as you can. When people arrive to events, they don't want to wait online. They need to skip the lines. They don't want to be in black tie waiting at a registration table with 10 people going A through D, D through F, F through M. They don't want to do that. They don't want to sit there and wait for a card to be written down. And then their sponsor standing over here saying, wait, those are my three guests that just got here. And they're waiting and around for more cards. And then they have to go to Kochak. And from Kochak, they go to the foot of the convention center or the room or the ballroom. And then they lose their table card or they lose their ticket or they lose something that's physically tangible in their hands and they're looking for it. So then they either go back down or they 
ask staff in the ballroom, they get to their table, they have to find their seat, they get to the convention center, they have to find their panel. Wherever they go, they're waiting. And then they have to communicate whether it's a waiter about food and beverage specifications, grab your coat, grab your car. Um, how can I get event updates in real time related to my place in the room? You know, there's a lot that happens. So we believe that people don't want to be waiting, that they don't want to be standing in crowds, that they really want accelerated, delightful arrival, check-in, and live on-site guest experiences. And again, we're, we really are sitting more in the private event space, right? We're not we're not talking about concerts. We're not talking about stadium and arena events. But we are talking about, you know, private events at a stadium, private events at an arena. So while the four walls and the roof, you know, may change, right, the nature of when people arrive to an event or even before they arrive, what information they have to really streamline their arrival check-in and on-site experiences is, is again, that's where we're sitting. Um, and as we do that, we're really reducing overhead and ops for organizers. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty clear to me. And I think you've touched on some interesting points there about how our expectations have changed really, you know, after not necessarily because of the pandemic, but just in general, our expectations of not waiting in line and having things as automated as possible. I think the vast majority of people see that as a benefit, right? I think a few years ago, we we're talking about, you know, do we want to check out our own groceries or do we want to, you know, there to be a person there? And I think most people are like, well, whatever's fastest, right? Let's just, let's just get on with things rather than understand what, what we want to have done, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it's funny too. And I think it depends on what it is. Like, you know, you go to a restaurant now and you're hovering over a QR code to pay because they don't want to send your waitress back over just to put a check on your table and then to take it back. You go to Florida and you're sitting down and you're hovering over a QR code to order because they're like, why do we have to send a waitress over there and back? You know, I think, you know, the school of thought is that you want to streamline things in a high touch way. Like, you know, touch, we, we, in events, we think of the guest interaction, our interaction as organizers, venues or vendors with the guests as like the more that we can be gracious, a hundred percent. But I think people are okay being touched less, meaning getting less emails, having less stops, across the event journey, not being held up, not being in large crowds, not being, not having to wait for the things that they want and need. And so when we go to meals or we're driving in a car, we order DoorDash remotely, or we say, um, you know, hey, Mercedes, you know, I need to change a tire. Like everything has become so automated, but at live events, we're still dealing with the exact same flow of our guests now today that we did 20 years ago. The, yes, you can get information about the event on your phone, but there's no technology that's changing your own personal experience for the better at that event. And that's, again, that's really the space that we're playing with. That's been my passion play for 20 years and probably going to mess up a lot. Of <laughs> but we're going to get there. Sounds good. So let's think more more big picture. Um, what are you What are you seeing as like the biggest challenges facing the event industry? And maybe you're trying to solve them in some way, but thinking sort of up ahead. Uh, one is 
tools that are the right fit for the right event or organizer. Um, I think it's really hard for an event organizer to know. And I think that's where experience come in. Um, I think on everybody's plate is the thought about economics, right? How can I do more with less? How can I spend less, but do more for my clients and their customers, right? Like everybody in the industry is B2B to say, I don't really, I don't care who you are. You're B2B to say, you are someone supplying a tech or a service. You have a client. That client has customers, attendees, or guests. Boom, done. That's what we're all playing with. So when someone hires you, whether you're a venue vendor organizer, it actually doesn't matter. It's not one, it's one stakeholder that's paying for governance responsible for, again, on private events, multiple, multiple, and the private event side is much bigger than the public event side. And so the stakes are higher. If you go to Madison Square Garden um, or you go to the Barclays Center and something happens with your ticket, right? You bought a scalp ticket. They don't care. You're you're one person or four people. It, there's just, there's no stakeholder that you're going to complain to. But if you are JP Morgan and you're having an event or you're sponsoring one, and something goes wrong, you're going to go to that event organizer or venue or your collaborators, and you're going to take up a real issue, and there's really going to be economics at stake. So these are just two completely different value systems, and the stakes are much higher. So I do think the biggest pain in the industry that is affecting us now that will affect us in the future is affording quality talent. And we are seeing that problem every day. I don't think that's going to get better. I think it's going to get a lot worse as more people come back into the workforce if the event ecosystem can't afford the economics of scale and people can get better jobs elsewhere, they will go. So I think it's really, really important that we be, as we always have been, I think, a really diverse ecosystem, um, one that champions minorities, one that starts to build um, maybe some funds um, or financial sources to really support the future of event technology and event talent. Um, and so I think what I see for the future is that is going to be pain. So to the extent that event technology companies like myself can solve for um, the challenging economics of staffing, and for scale so that event professionals and organizers can do more with less, that's going to be really important. And, and look, I don't, I have absolutely no understanding of what will happen with the metaverse, with Web3, whatnot. But we also need really, really smart mind. I mean, people a hundred times smarter than I, I know nothing. We need people that can help decipher that at scale so that people can get out ahead and think about you know, what is my next 10 years look like? If you're if you're 65 and you're on the way out of the industry, you may not care. I know for me, I, I care deeply because I have to get an understanding of what's next and how do I build today for tomorrow? I have to stay uniquely focused on delivering today, but I have to have a vision, not just say, okay, I want to be on 25 million phones in six years. I have to have a vision of what are the new, what's the new plumbing going to look like of the world? That might be my chassis or that, you know, might be what I have to build on. I have no, I don't have enough knowledge to know. So I spend a lot of time talking to people 
um, about what that could possibly look like and feel like. So I think the third thing I would say is education. I think, you know, as event pros, we're so, so busy. We're so busy doing our craft and whatever we're good at. Um, but I think it's so important to learn new things and try new things, talk to people, get educated. Um, it's really hard to find the time to do. I never was good at it when I was an event producer, but I I, I think it's, you know, I have a whole new respect for it. So it is why we, so Leigh and I go on site for a lot of events that are in New York. We're going on site tonight. Why? Because we get to see the technology on someone's phone, which is exciting when you've built it. Um, Because we get to see the other pain points. We talk to customers, like what was amazing, what was terrible. Clients complain to us. We're like, we got it. We get to look them in the eye and right then and there say sorry and really have an immediate feedback loop with them. Um, They love being heard. We get a little bit of a moment to tell them what's next um, in real time and say, look at that line. That's going away. You know, that line's going away. Um, And then they get really excited. They're scared if they think we're going to move their cheese. So we look them in the eye and we assure them we're not going to move their cheese. Um, and we get to look around and see and see new pain. So, so in a way in which it's how I get to get educated and talk to my customers. And then I go to startup events to learn like what's next, what's future plumbing going to look like, what are the beats that are going to affect me and my industry. So I, I try to be informed for them as well. And then if I know stuff, share stuff. I don't know a lot, but I share what I know. Well, thank you for sharing with us. I think uh, this has been really, really interesting. Um, do you have any kind of clear vision of the future of the industry? And I guess I'm asking this more from a, you know, you go to an event now in 2020 and it looks a certain way. And if you think about a little bit further down the line and let's say five years, something like that, do you expect those events to be different and, and how would they be different? I expect the journey to be different for the guest and God help us all. I'm going to be the one beating that drum and getting us there. I want people to leave their home and their vow angel is sitting on their shoulders and it's saying to them, you know, Waze says the drive is X. You should get going soon. Put on that lipstick. And, you know, these are the routes you're going to take and you're putting on lipstick and those routes are happening, you know, in the cloud in front of you. And as you get closer, telling you where to park, because there's some sense of this lot is full, but that one's not. And you're going to Barclays and it says the shortest line is on the northwest side of the street. And as you get closer, you know, your vow account is saying, you know, hello, Miss Brisman, it's great to see you. Do you want to order from the concession stand now? And then you're walking into that event and you know that wherever you are, the waiter, the private event knows what you're allergic to, is able to greet you by first name. When you want that drink, it's ready at the bar. You're not losing valuable time, enjoying a show, networking with people, which is also equally valuable or hearing that headline speaker because you're standing at the bar getting in the drink. So, you know, it's not going to be in three years, maybe five and a half to six, you know, but the vision is really that that journey will take on a whole new meaning and level because events are one of the most valuable tools for marketing, PR, brand, you know, engagement, loyalty, product launches. So I think that, you know, we're going to invest, you know, our money in building technology to accelerate the guest experience well before the guest gets on site. And I think that was one of your, one of your questions that you had 
in your lineup. And, and that's really our vision and what we're looking to do. And, and Vow is elevating that experience and they're doing it in the cloud. Um, so, you know, a girl can hope. Sounds like a great vision to me. I really appreciate you kind of talking us through the vision because I think it can be very abstract, right? If you're talking about event, you know, app features and tech stack and all this kind of thing. Well, that's interesting, but what does it really mean? And I think having this vision of how smooth it could be to attend an event in the future, I think a lot of people can get behind that, right? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity and the great questions. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. And I want to ask you the, the last question we ask all our guests, which is for you to recommend someone else to be a guest on the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know who today really is kind of the foremost expert on Web3 and the metaverse. But I think, you know, to the extent you can find someone who really is the expert on the tech side, not, you know, just sort of hypothesizing and really you know, play around with them to understand how this would affect or could affect um, the event ecosystem. I know that I would certainly love that. And it could be someone on the entertainment side, um, but I, I'm really passionate about it and I and I really try to understand it and I think it's important. So I think it would be somebody playing in that space who really knows their stuff and who can really, really break it down and apply it towards our industry. Excellent. Great recommendation. We'll, uh, we'll definitely keep that in mind and, and find that the right person to, to, to fill that bill. So that's brilliant. Jennifer, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the podcast with us today. I wish you all the success with, with Vow and look, looking forward to hearing more about it and how it develops. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Miguel.